So this morning, we'll be reading out of Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 28. This is titled, The Apostles Meet Opposition. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was securely locked, with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the, te- or excuse me, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Thanks, Keith. Let's pray. Lord, as we pray every Sunday, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see and hear your word, that we'd have an encounter with you. Lord, for each person gathered here today, wanting to be fed from your scripture, Lord, pray that you'd feed them through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Wow. All right. You're awake. Good. <laughs> so I've got two, uh, two stories to tell you to kick us off here. One is, as usual, a sports story. I'm sorry for that. It's just part of my upbringing. Another one's a cooking story, all right? We'll round it out a little bit. So in sports, I played football, I played basketball, and I remember uh, my dad teaching me when I'd shoot a basketball to watch how it hits the rim. So I'd do it. I'd practice, I'd shoot, and if it hit the front of the rim, I'd think through my teaching of what I needed to do next time. If it hit the back of the rim, I'd think about it. If it went left or right, it meant that a different mechanic was off in how I'd been taught. Even if I made the basket, my dad always still taught me, watch how it hits the rim. So if you hit it, if it's nothing but net, that means one thing. If it hits the back of the rim and goes in, teach you another thing. And remember, remember my dad shooting free throws. And he'd say, Rob, watch this. I'm going to hit the left side of the rim and in. And he'd do it. Back. And you go, I'm going to hit the back side of the rim in it. And you do it. He was watching very closely 
that correlation between what he'd been taught and how he was living it out. Same thing with cooking, all right? You ever decided to go without the instructions and the recipe book while you're cooking? I remember as a bachelor, fresh on my own, I tried to make a pot of soup and I threw the cheese in right away and it burnt the cheese like crazy as it boiled and boiled. And yet I'm watching this thing. It looked good. I'm like, I can do this, right? I took a bite of it. It's like, what is it? It was just, it didn't look burnt, but I guess you can burn soup pretty good. All right? You got to watch that, right? Watch how you're taught. And I realize now why my senior year of high school, my mom kept trying to teach me how to make lasagna, and I wouldn't listen. I'm like, Mom, I, I can handle it. I had a phase there where I did frozen pizzas probably every night for a while. That didn't go so good. One day I had a craving just, I had a midnight craving for spinach. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. So I went to the store and I bought spinach and lemons. And my roommates were like, Rob, something's wrong. You got to give up the Jack's pizzas. And <laughs> but there's a correlation between what we're taught and how we live that out. And I don't have this on a slide for you today, but I'm probably going to repeat it quite often. And I want you to memorize this verse. It's 2 Timothy 4.16. 2 Timothy 4.16. So if you're writing stuff down, write that down. So 2 Timothy, so that starts with a 2. Here's, here's, here's how you can remember it. So 2 times 2 is 4, and then 4 times 4 is 16, okay? So 2 Timothy 4.16. And what that says is to watch your life and your teaching closely. Because there's a connection, right? Two times two should equal four. If it's five, you got to look and be like, how did a three get in there, right? Or, well, <laughs> that'd be two plus two. Anyways, not a math major. Um, <laughs> Dan Olivers is laughing at me over here. <laughs> so let's go to the next slide here. So we're going to look at our teaching today and how important it is, how central it is. All right? I mean, part of the question is, why are you here this morning listening to me? Now, before you say, good point, pastor. <laughs> I'll see you later. No, there are reasons that you're here. Okay? It's because you're looking for good teaching. How do you know you're getting that? Is it because you came to a building that has a sign that says it's a church? That's, that's not a good reason. There's the Church of Scientology, all right? You're not going to get good teaching there. You could say, well, it's, we talk about God at this church. That's how I know we get, well, not every church that talks about God gives good teaching. You could say, well, we open the Bible. Well, that is a good sign. You have to at least do that. But preaching doesn't necessarily match the Scripture when people open their Bibles. So we're going to look at two ways that you can know you get good teaching. We'll see it in this text. One is that it's centered on Jesus Christ. And two, is it leads fruitfully in your life. Right? How do I know that I had a good basketball coach? Well, 
I listened to him, the shot went in, right? How do I know that I have a good recipe book? Well, when I make it, I'm willing to eat it, you know? So this teaching is critical. And so we're going to put in green color where we see this word for teaching. The Greek word is didasko, and it means, it means teaching. And so let's go to the next slide. We see this right out of the gate with the Great Commission. In verse 20 there, it says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So already we see, we're going to teach, and how we're going to measure the effectiveness of that teaching is, are they going to obey? Will it make a difference in their life? Let's go to the next verse here. So that's the Great Commission. That's the church's job. And then, as the church gets rolling in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and the church begins being the church. It says that they devoted themselves to these things, to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing, and to prayer. What's the very first thing on that list? The teaching. Yeah. You've got to guard, as 2 Timothy 4.16 says, right? Watch closely the way you live what you're being taught because that teaching has the power to destroy or to give life it's critical these other things they flow from it let's go to our diagram now this is what we've been doing for this month for this series last week we looked at that fellowship piece now we're looking at this teaching piece and the way we measure if the teaching is correct, is effective, is good, we look at its fruit. And you see where that arrow points? So if people are being taught correctly, what are they going to do? They're going to live it out. They're going to go serve. They're going to go share. They're going to live this thing out. Remember another phrase my dad would use. He'd say, a good pass because we'd argue about how to pass, right? I might throw it out of bounds, but I'd be like, no, I, I did the right thing. You know, I, I had a good spin on it. I, look, a good pass is a pass that's caught. <laughs> All right? If you throw out of bounds, it's probably not a good pass. Okay? In football, right? You can throw a spiral that's a little wobbly, but if it gets to the receiver and they catch it, you can argue that was a good pass compared to a spiral out of bounds. Polished up, looks beautiful, and yet if it doesn't get to the end zone, if it doesn't get to a changed life, what was the point of that pretty little spiral? Let's go now to our text for today. Let's walk through the story as we see the primacy of good teaching, a devotion to it that the church had at the very beginning, and in our DNA, we want to continue it, faith family. So verse 17, this whole group of high priests, officials, Sadducees, they were jealous. They were jealous. They missed the boat. Instead of joining the church, Realizing what God was continuing to do, they tried to stop it. 
they hated the good teaching they were hearing. We have a world that doesn't want you to hear good teaching. It wants to drone it out. Wants to choke it out. Wants to get you so busy. Wants to bring so much noise into your life. It wants you to scroll YouTube endlessly so that you hear everything but a message that will bring you life. And here we see the opposition in verse 18. They arrested the apostles and they put them in jail. So that'll stop it. <laughs> that'll prevent what's spreading. But it doesn't. Later on, Paul says to one of the churches, he says, I want you to know that these chains I'm in, they're only serving to advance the gospel. You can't stop this thing. Everyone in the jail now is hearing about the gospel. Verse 19, it says, Then an angel of the Lord came at night, and it opened the gates of the jail, and it brought them out. There's three situations in Acts. Chapters 12 and chapter 16 as well. Where they flee the coop. They, get, they do a jailbreak. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Three times. The gates of the enemy are torn down. And the word of the Lord continues to spread. Fulfilling the promise back in Matthew. When Jesus tells Peter... That on you I will build a church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The enemy does not want our world to hear good teaching. It tries to silence our voices. I believe that happens a lot in our culture. Christians don't get a chance to speak up. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Death does not get the final word. This next passage is just wonderful. This angel springs him from jail. And he's got a purpose for them. And he says, go back to the temple and give the people this message of life. Isn't that wonderfully worded? The Greek, that's literally what it means. This message of life. I love how it's called that. Because our world sends so many messages of death. Things that we buy into and we believe. And then come out in our lives with uncontrolled anxiety and anger. in ways that don't bring life to us or our families or our churches. I thought about this, this cycle of a disciple and these ideas of fellowship. You can have a fellowship that still brings death. Or the sharing and the service. You can have an organization that's all about doing things for other people and it still brings death. But this teaching, good teaching, is what makes sure that it stays on track and brings life. Make sure that we're doing this according to, the, to what God wants. And notice here too, it says that 
just as they were told, immediately they did it. Isn't that a great definition of obedience? Immediately, as they were told, continued doing it. Because that's what the Spirit wanted. And they were in step with the Spirit. Let's go to verse, the uh, next section here. So meanwhile, let's call them the bad guys. They think they got the good guys in jail. And yet someone arrived with startling news. They're not there. <laughs> Verse 24 is kind of funny when you read it through. It says that they were perplexed and they started to wonder where is this all going to end? They're feeling a little out of control as they're confronting what God's wanting to do. Later on in verse 38 and 39, one of these Pharisee guys named Gamaliel tells that group, he goes, you know what, I'm starting to sense we might be on the losing side of this thing. <laughs> he tells them, if this is of their own doing, if they're just making this up, we're going to see it by their fruit. He says it will be overthrown. He says, we've seen this time and time again. People have come and claimed to be the Messiah. They get a few hundred followers. It dies off. Because it's not rooted in the truth. Things that aren't rooted in the truth, they shift, they change, they disappear. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And he says that if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow this thing. You only find yourself fighting against God. So they're back teaching the people. Next section, please. So they called them back in. <laughs> they said, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. They won't even say the name of Jesus. This man's name. They say, instead of listening to us, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Isn't that a great accusation? I just picture two of the apostles doing a high five. <laughs> We're doing what we're called to do. The Great Commission was go throughout all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Be witnesses in my name. And right here, even from these Pharisees' vantage point, it's like, check. We brought the word of God to our backyard. There's not a single person here that doesn't know the name of Jesus and what this stands for. Amen. I want that to be said here. In our community. And starting in our homes. And men, lead the way for your families. There's no greater responsibility than to teach your family a message of life so that when you're not around, your children, 
your wives can still be led through God's word. I remember as a kid, we'd have popcorn devotionals once a week. Dad would make popcorn, mom would start doing haircuts, and they'd, my dad would share his joke of the week, which got the eye rolls, and then he'd share his verse of the week while we're eating popcorn. That was a good way to get us to be quiet, I guess, right? And then during haircuts, it wasn't always haircuts. Well, maybe. Five of us, uh, maybe once a week, someone get a haircut. But then they'd roll Rave Anderlin on the TV screen. And I remember as a little kid, I mean, we moved from that house when I was nine. So I was nine or younger, and I'm listening to Rave Anderlin, who is a biblical scholar. <laughs> and I remember I loved it. I remember talking to my dad about it. I was fascinated to see the ancient world of Israel and hearing about this message of life. Let's fill our homes with teaching about him. And if we abdicate that, we invite messages of death into our homes. We invite messages of death into our groups, into our church, into our community. Let's take that stand, as the early church did, as the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let's go to the next verses here. Verse 29. The response of Peter and the apostles was, we must obey God rather than any human authority. It only confirms that their good teaching is resulting in firm obedience. They're not going to be swayed by what someone tells them they ought to do. They're to submit as to the Lord, not to men. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about bad teachers. They're out there. And he says, you will know them by their fruit. He says, can a good tree bear bad fruit or a bad tree bear good fruit? Watch their life, right? This is 2 Timothy 4.16. says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. They're connected. I had a friend who, I, I met him in a park. I quoted some scripture, told him what I was about. He goes, that sounds a lot better than what I've been fed. And he came, started coming to church. He's starting to get grow. And at one point, though, he found a home of moved in with a group of guys that claimed to be Christians and it was just messed up teaching they thought a certain skin race was going to heaven and the rest to hell I remember talking to him I said hey buddy you're telling me that because of the color of my skin I'm going to hell it's like well, I'm not saying it the Bible says it what haven't you been listening as you've been coming to church I'm like, okay, listen, listen. I go, have you felt love as we've interacted and as you've gone to church? The different people that have poured in your life, are they, are they respectable people? He goes, yeah, yeah. Okay, how about, what, tell me about the lifestyle of these guys that you're 
learning from that. He goes, oh man, the leader owes me so much money. He won't pay me back. <laughs> okay, Mike, <laughs> you know, like, listen to what you're saying. That's the value of having, being in a local church. You can look at my life. You can look at the lives of the elders. You can evaluate the lives of those entrusted with the teaching in this church. That's something you don't get online. You don't get to see if two times two equals four in their life. But when you show up in a fellowship, you get to see that. And it's your responsibility to check that. To make sure to make sure that this church is obeying God rather than men. Next scripture, please. So what is good teaching? Well, it is centered around Jesus. We see in these few verses, that first verse mentions that Jesus died. The second one, that he rose again. Third verse says, so then repent and obey. Let me read it to you. It says, that the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. That's why when we do baptisms, I say, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He doesn't just forgive sins, but he now has a right to your life that this teaching will be played out in the fruit of how you live. Then it says, he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are now witnesses of this. We've seen it. And we're sharing with others what we've seen. And so is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Holy Spirit wants to share this as well. You ever have that moment where you feel it in your bones? Like Jeremiah says, a fire in my bones, I can't keep it in. I have to share the Word of God. That's the Holy Spirit in your life. Wants to bring messages of life. And that spirit is given to God to those who obey him. And I think this might be our, our last verse of the day. So the apostles left the council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. Good teaching. It results in obedience. It results in an ability to suffer for what's right. You see here, it results in rejoicing. There's a wellspring of life in these people. There's a message of life. continue to be devoted to good teaching centered on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That is the DNA of our church. That is the DNA of the church. So let's go back to our little wheel here. Teaching. 
Are we living this out? I remember uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, I remember being at a church in October, and they had cake, they had signs up, they passed the mic around, and so we're going to do that now. No, I'm just kidding. It was all said and done. Pastor got the mic. He goes, thank you. I, pre- I appreciate that. But he says, I'll let you know what I'd rather see. He says, I would trade all of this. All of this. If I could see fruit in your lives. If you'd help me cut the grass. If you'd stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you would let God's word plant in your life. I'd trade the cake. And I think about that Someone tells me, good sermon. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I'll know if God used his word to change your life in some way. Until then, it's a spiral going out of bounds. But if you catch it, you hold on. And you run the race. your eyes fixed on Jesus avoiding the sin that so easily entangles you get to that end zone and you spike that ball (laughs) you say in your face Satan live a changed life and if you're sitting there today saying yeah there's areas in my life that could use some work and lean into good teaching. We're trying to provide that at the church here. And there's all sorts of ways it can happen. One of those passages said that they were doing it in big groups at the temple. It's a pretty big spot. And they were going from house to house. We have life groups you can get connected in. We have families you can gather around God's word in. You can go for that walk. Just you and God. Listen to what he'd have to say to you that day. It's a good spot to put your roots. We did that Labor Day sermon on Psalm 1. Put your roots deep down into God's work. And you'll see things grow. I'm glad that this church has someone other than the pastor to cut the grass. (laughs) Glad that this church shows life change. It's a key part in this wheel of the cycle of a disciple. So let's pray.
God, I pray for the power of your spirit to move through your word in your church today that we might reach our world. As 2 Timothy 4.16 says, let us watch our life and our teaching closely. Lord, lead your church in victory. In Jesus' name, amen.